You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today is uh, a highlight for me, as it is uh, each and every year, when Nick Petrie drops by to talk about his brand new Peter Ash novel. Today we're going to talk about The Runaway, a brand new uh, thriller from Nick that, uh, when you're hearing this, is out everywhere now. And, uh, you know, this has become, like I said, a highlight of uh of each reading season uh peter ash is a a a character that we fell in love with a number of years ago and he's just so much fun to to follow along and um you know with all the uh idiosyncrasies that come with this character um it's just it 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 really is a highlight uh welcome back to the show nick well thanks so much for having me hank it's uh, again i'm glad it's a highlight for you it's always a highlight for me Thank you so much. Uh, the Runaway. How many books for Peter Ash is this now? This is book seven, for goodness sake. Good grief. Um, th- did you, uh, you know, maybe this is a trite question, but it, when you first uh, dreamt up uh, the character of Peter Ash, when he first came into your life, did you have any idea that this character would have the legs that he does? Oh, I had absolutely no idea. I really thought that first book would never be published. My first three attempts at writing a novel uh, had never been published either, although I'd gotten a little farther along with each with each book. Um, but the the I mean, I just sort of thought, okay, well, it's just not going to happen for me. And so I'm going to write something that is the book I really want to read. And I think I think that uh, maybe is the secret to not trying to make other people happy, but to tell the story that is the most compelling to you. I think that's part of why uh, Peter's uh, kind of uh, become such a fan favorite. Yeah. You know, you, and and there is something to be said for writing to market and kind of understanding the market and what people um, like to buy and, you know, making sure that you kind of hit those notes. But the first thing that you've got to do is make sure that you like the character, right? I mean, it's got to be a book that, that you feel comfortable with, especially if you're going to write seven volumes like like we are now. Um, Peter Ash needs to be someone that that you can get along with, for lack of a better term. Well, sure. And, and you know, his voice is very uh, sort of comfortable and familiar to me. Um, so it, it is I mean, it, it's it's become sort of my natural my natural writing voice. Um, and I'm. You know, I know I, I'm with you there. there you do want to know the market. You do want to know what's being published. And but, you know, that doesn't mean you have to be, a, uh, you know, sort of a slave to finding that the place that you think you need to fit. Right. Um, I, I think if you read enough, you will know what's out there. Um, and if you write something that speaks to you and you are deep enough in in you know, the area of your interest in terms of reading that you'll, you know, you'll, you'll find a place to, to fit yourself. Yeah. You know, writing one book or even following up that book with another book, um, you, you start to 
get familiar with the character. And like you said, this is kind of your natural writing voice now. But it, how has Peter Ash, um, h- how has he endeared himself to you? We, you know, when you go from this character that you're discovering along with us, the reader, um, you know, at what point did you become comfortable with him? And, and uh, you know, kind of how did that transition happen? You know, I think I've always been comfortable with him in a way. Um, I mean, it's not that Peter is me, because certainly our backgrounds could not be more different. Right. Um, but um, there's a certain sensibility that that Peter has. He has a very strong moral sense, which I certainly share. And he has a, a, a quirky take on the world, which in a way is a, is a lot like mine. And, and he's always looking for for the best in people and, and all, although prepared for the worst. And I, I have to say that's kind of my approach to, to uh, life as well. It's that I am, I am here, I am an open book. And if you are interested in, uh, you know, being the same with me, then we are going to get along famously. But if you are someone who is a, you know, if you're a schemer and, and you're someone who is only looking out for yourself, then we're probably not going to get along very well. And that's, that's that's really Peter's whole whole take, right? I mean, he he is that part of me, which is I think I think all of us have that part, you know, who wishes we could take on the wrongs of the world and make them right, no matter what the consequences are. It, talking about your uh, differences and background from from Peter Ash, uh, we we've talked about that in the past, and I'll link up um, the uh, the other shows that we've done for people to to go back, and we we won't just you know, completely rehash your history. Um, people can go back and listen to that if they want. But um, it, because your backgrounds are so different, what do you do um, to help you speak so authentically uh, for this character and to make us feel like um, that this could be you, that, you, you know, that he's he comes across very authentic on the page. What What sort of things do you do to get inside his head and to get into the head of, um, you know, people that have lived like Peter. Well, I, you know, I don't know that I have a strategy uh, or a system. I, I think it really is just a, as much about empathy as anything else. And I, you know, one of the one of the things about these books is that the critics tell me and readers tell me um, over and over again is that it's really the strength of the characters that it is. You know, one of the things that really keep people coming back is that these people feel real. And I think part of it is that there, no no character is a cardboard cutout, whether whether they have, a, you know, they have a walk on with no lines or whether they're half the book. I, I don't want anybody who is, um, you know, a one dimensional character. Uh, I, I'm interested in complexity. I'm interested in, in gray areas. And and Peter you know, Peter's a good guy, but he doesn't always do good things. And I think, you know, again, I think that's a pretty, uh, you know, human uh, way to be. Um, and, you know, it's the same whether I'm I'm writing uh, women or uh, people of color or, you know, I mean, I had, my books are filled with a pretty uh, diverse range of characters. But um, a, a, a reader uh, once told me that the reason she liked how I wrote Lewis so much, and this was a, a black reader, she said that that Lewis was a character who happened to be black. He wasn't a black character. And that is absolutely my approach, is to, is to try to find the common human 
parts that, that we all share and to bring those out and to make those feel real. And, and the fact that you're black or white or brown or, or straight or gay or male or female or all that stuff is just shadings on who you are as a human being. And to me, that's the most important thing. And, and frankly, you know, I, I think not every writer is super interested in character. And that's a totally legitimate approach. Some some books are just very plot oriented. Um, and I, there are those books that I love as well. But but for me, what makes a thriller thrilling is not just that you want to know what happens next, although I hope that's a part of my books, too. But it, it's that you care about the characters, you care about what's at risk. And and it's it's so much more thrilling if you really care about the outcome. What is going to happen to this person? If you can, if if you in as you read, if a character is not a character on the page, but is a person you know, and that's that's my goal always with every character is to have them be, you know, feel real to you as a human being. An innocent client, the first book in the Joe Dillard legal thriller series. A preacher is found brutally murdered in a Tennessee motel room. A beautiful, mysterious young girl is accused. In this best-selling debut, criminal defense lawyer Joe Dillard has become jaded over the years as he's tried to balance his career against his conscience. Savvy but cynical, Dillard wants to quit doing criminal defense, but he can't resist the chance to represent someone who might actually be innocent. His drug-addicted sister has just been released from prison and his mother is succumbing to Alzheimer's, but Dillard's commitment to the case never wavers despite the personal troubles and professional demands that threaten to destroy him. Chosen by BookBub readers as one of the top 100 crime novels of all time, get started on this great series with an innocent client where it all started. Read for free with Kindle Unlimited or buy it in paperback or audiobook. An Innocent Client by Scott Pratt. Things We Never Got Over. The new book by best-selling author Lucy Score. Bearded bad boy Barber Knox refers to live his life the way he takes his coffee. Alone. Unless you count his basset hound Waylon. Knox doesn't tolerate drama even when it comes in the form of a stranded runaway bride. Naomi wasn't just running away from her wedding. She was riding to the rescue of her estranged twin to knock him out Virginia, a rough-around-the-edges town where disputes are settled the old-fashioned way, with fist and beer, usually in that order. Too bad for Naomi, her evil twin hasn't changed at all. After helping herself to Naomi's car and cash, Tina leaves her with something unexpected. The niece Naomi didn't know she had. Now she's stuck in town with no car, no job, no plan, and no home with an 11-year-old going on 30 to take care of. There's a reason Knox doesn't do complications or high-maintenance women, especially not the romantic ones. But since Naomi's life imploded right in front of him, the least he can do is help her out of her jam. And just as soon as she stops getting into new trouble, he can leave her alone and get back to his peaceful, solitary life. At least that's the plan until the trouble turns to real danger. Things We Never Got Over, the new book by best-selling author, Lucy Score. Well, speaking of that, and, and your your books are definitely character-driven, yet um, a friend of mine uh, describes it like this, that, that character is plot. Um, that once you have a character that you care about and then 
you watch him or her go through things um you know that drives the plot um do you when you're planning out a new novel do you start thinking of a scenario first and then you know your cast of characters come in or do you start thinking of you know peter and and you know how would peter react to if if something happened and then you know what if there was another character that this was happening to and then peter uh, you know intersects them and then what happens so do, do you think of it in in terms of character first or do you think of it in in terms of something happening now let me see how this affects my character well it, i do start with character and i my the first question is always so what where is peter not geographically but where is he kind of emotionally at the beginning of the book because you do want every book there to be a little bit of a of a journey for for every character um so you know is peter in a good place is peter in a not good place or or is peter and june who's his paramour june cassidy you know are they in conflict are they in harmony um and it's i'm often essentially reacting to the last book and what happened with the the previous book so i do want to have things evolve and change um but so i i begin with that and then and then i often really think about uh place there's a place that i've been thinking about or a place that i've been interested in going to or a place that i've been um and and you know those are the the the, the place sort of suggests a series of events or at least a, a place to begin um so this book for example is set in rural nebraska um, which is a, you know, there it's it's a fully populated area, but houses, uh, you know, out in the country are a mile or two or three or four apart. You can walk a long time without seeing another person, um, and so that suggests a certain kind of story. Um, the, the other thing I always do is I begin with a kind of assignment. I sort of say, well, what kind of book do I want this to be? Um, and my assignment for for this book, I, I often tell kind of bigger stories, stories with larger consequences. Um, and for The Runaway, I wanted to tell really a, a smaller, more personal story with very powerful personal consequences. So what's at stake here is not just one person's life, but in, in a way her soul. Um, you know, what will she do to survive? Um, and, and so those are kind of the, 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 the ingredients that are kind of churning around in my brain. Um, and then this character Helene, who has a huge, you know, piece of this book. She's she is the largest uh, other part, other than Peter, that I've ever written. Um, she's fully her her point of view scenes are fully half this book. Um, she just kind of showed up and started talking, and <laughs> I knew where she worked, and I knew what kind of what her problems were. And those first three chapters of the book. Um, in a way, they sort of appeared out of nowhere, and, and I didn't really trust myself because they, it, was, it was like having a lucid dream. Um, and I, you know, there is something for me that kind of magically that happens if I, if I can pay attention and if I can capture it when it's happening, where the, the, the combination of sort of my, my series hero's kind of state of mind and place in life and his... Uh, the, the setting that I'm that I'm interested in writing about, um, those sort of combine, and then another character kind of shows up. Um, so it's a it's a weird. Uh, it sounds kind of woo woo, and it sounds kind of mystical, but it's a it, it's not a process I've ever been able to manufacture. I know there are writers who can work like that, and honestly, I wish I could because it'd be easier. But it is really about uh, sitting in my office or sitting, you know, going to the park and watching 
watching the waves on the lake and, uh, you know, sitting with my, you know, with a notepad and sort of seeing what, you know, kind of what interesting thing shows up. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a very weird way to work, but it's also the only way that I know how to work. Well, speaking of the woo woo, this is, uh, this is a safe space to talk about the woo woo because, you know, there's, there's something mystical, magical, whatever, however you want to describe it, that, that we, we fully embrace, uh, you know, when you're talking about writing, yes, the stories come from crazy places. We don't always understand it, but, but we love it. Um, and I definitely want to come back to talking about Helene in just a minute because um, she is um, she's a fascinating character. And the way that that she is interwoven in this book is fascinating to me, being a, a Peter Ash fan, seeing kind of uh, how the story ratchets up because of her. Um, but to go back to just a second to to setting and place, um, one thing that I love about your books is that place almost becomes a character in a lot of ways and i love uh when you say you know that that that's one of the things that you start talking thinking about and and talking through with yourself and and how you know the, the setting what what sort of story does this demand um because of you know geography and just the you know the kind of the basic things about that um but uh you know as someone who lives in the deep south um uh, Nebraska is just not something that I think about very often, um, and I, I do know a few people that that live in Nebraska or are from there. Um, but it it's it's very much a foreign um, uh, you know thought to me. Um, what what is it about Nebraska that uh, other than kind of the way things are spread out? Um, because that that's very much the truth here in the Deep South as well. Um, you know, you get out in the country, and it may be you know a mile or two before you you have a neighbor. Um, and and those uh, the kind of sparseness of that and the way people are spread out um, affects the way that you think. And, you know, living in an apartment building with people above you and below you um, is a very different experience than living on a plot of land and your nearest neighbors a couple of miles away. And, um, you know, that that just dictates a, a, a completely different kind of life. Um, what was it about Nebraska that that intrigued you other than kind of the sparseness of it? Well, there are two two pieces to Nebraska that I that I really thought about. And, and one was um, kind of how how primal it is, that landscape on the northern Great Plains. It, it's it feels so vast and open and the sky is so huge. You know, in, in, I spent a lot of time in rural Wisconsin as well. And and it doesn't feel so big because you're the, the terrain is different. There are trees. Your sight lines are close. Um, but you, you know, you you really feel like you are a little speck on the on the face of the planet when you're when you're out on the plains. Um, and and so part of it was that feeling of of uh, solitude and loneliness and isolation was part of what I was uh, sort of was drawn to. Uh, but the other part is really the the challenges of farm country of rural America, where um, you know the the landscape is is pretty harsh and unforgiving. Uh, economically, it, it's it's even less forgiving. The population is shrinking. Towns are towns are getting smaller and smaller. Communities are struggling. Jobs are few and far between. And the ones that are still existent are are you know really hard work. Um, so I wanted to sort of talk about who those people are who live in places like this 
and what is that reality like for them a bit? Um, I, I'm always interested in, in, in books that are about something uh, bigger than just the story. Um, so which is why I'm, I have, there's often a, a social issue or, or some sort of topic I'm interested in as part of these books. And, um, you know, it, it's also, you know, I do think of place as a character. And, and honestly, as a writer, it's kind of a cheat because I can pick a place that carries some emotional resonance for me. And then I can just start digging in and sort of saying, well, what kind of stories are here? Um, I, I wrote a book about uh, Memphis. And I found the initial piece of that book because um, I looked in the Memphis paper and there was a story about uh, people robbing a, a, a jewelry store in a mall. And I, and I just thought, well, what is that like and who are those people and, and uh, you know, what are the social dynamics involved with that? And then the whole book sort of rolled out of that. So, you know, setting for me is a, is a great place to start because it really primes the pump. Um, and dictates the kinds of stories you can you can tell. Absolutely. Um, Helene is, uh, like you said, uh, she is a viewpoint character in the book. Um, the first time that you've had a, a separate viewpoint character other than Peter, is that right? Well, no, June has had... Uh, that, that's in, right. In, in, in the last book, June actually had a, a, a fairly substantial role, but but nowhere near as big as, as Helene is in, in this right. one. Um, and we, you know, we've seen a little bit of Lewis from time to time. We we see some of the villain characters occasionally if if they're uh, particularly creepy. Um, that's but always this, a lot of fun. But to this do. feels different. This feels like, um, uh, like you said, half of the book is is from her perspective. Um, what was it like getting into her head? And I, I know that you said she just kind of showed up and started talking one day. Um, but at some point. Um, as you're writing and, and you kind of recognize her role in this book and, and what kind of, um, you know, how she's going to fill her space in the book. Did, was there ever any um, worry or uh, doubt about writing authentically from her point of view? Yes and no. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm my whole life. I'm surrounded by strong women, my grandparents, my mom, my sister, my wife. Uh, I, I am, you know, blessed to know all of these really strong, smart, uh, you know, powerful women. Sure. So like that, that part was easy. But um, to me, the challenge was that it would be really easy to write Helene's role as that of a victim. And I, I that's that's I was the opposite of what I wanted to do. She's under duress. She's she's uh, there are a lot of people who want something from her. Um, but but. You know, I wanted to show her full that she had full agency. She was, you know, she didn't always uh, have control, but but she she was a person in her own right, and she wanted things out of life, and and that that part isn't that hard. Um, you know, I, I it was a little so she's she's enormously pregnant for a, a chunk of this book, um, and so that part I was concerned that that you know having never been actually pregnant myself, I wanted to make sure that you know I had conveyed that. Uh, accurately and the emotional piece of it accurately. And um, uh, my uh, my wife uh, has been pregnant before, and my my agent has two kids herself. So I had definitely some some uh, you know women who had been through that to to talk to about it. Um, and and Margaret read a, a you know has, has always reads stuff. Sometimes it's bigger chunks, sometimes it's smaller chunks. Um, and Margaret's my wife, and and so. 
you know, she she said, yes, I want to know more. I want to read more. And so that's that's always the reaction I'm, I'm looking for. Um, uh, and so, I, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I know it's it's. Um, it's become an issue lately of the idea that you you're not supposed to write somebody who's not like you. Um, but to me, that's what makes the work interesting. Right. That's what makes writing interesting. And it certainly is what makes reading interesting because you it's an act of empathy. It's putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. That's what um, I was going to say. It's it's one of the most empathetic things you can do with putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Yeah. And, and the, the trick is just to do it, you know, is to keep an eye on what we all have in common and to really think about, um, you know, who we all are and to try to write somebody who is a whole person and not someone who's a stereotype, right. Um, you know, or a one dimensional character. And, and I mean, I'm just, I'm just allergic to that as a reader as well. (laughs) Um, and I, again, I put, I put a lot of effort into that as a writer character is probably the thing I, I pay the most attention to, because I do find, like you said, that the story really kind of comes out of what what the character wants and what the character's attitude is and and uh you know the the storytelling piece for me just it all i mean it's <coughs> excuse me it's it's not always simple um but it but it does sort of take on a life of its own yeah one thing that I love about uh about your books and in peter ash uh specifically is that you find ways to take um some common tropes uh if you will some scenarios that we're all familiar with in one way or another and and let us look at it through a different lens uh, to get a, a different perspective on it and in in the runaway you've got um uh you've got this character who has um uh an abusive husband and he's an ex-cop and and we've we've seen a story similar to that in a lot of different places you know the the uh the power tripping you know cop who who then you know takes his uh, uh frustrations out on on his family and and, and things like that and that story's been told uh, a lot of different ways and in many many times but you do it in a way um that keeps us guessing and keeps the page turning what what do you think about um taking some of these story ideas that we've seen before but giving us new perspectives on it well it's funny i i thought about this question actually a lot and i i think um actually this is this is one of the reasons why i really like talking to you because you really think like a writer and you ask these really interesting questions (laughs) um but so for me i think if i I've had some books that have just sort of never taken off, right? So I, you know, I start something, I'm 10,000 words in, and there's just no life to it. And I think those are the books that I begin sort of saying, I want to tell the story of a cop who went bad, or I want to tell the story of a, of a, a woman who's being abused by her husband. If I start with an idea, then it's so easy to slip into uh, the trope and to fall into the things that I've, I've read before or I've seen before. Um, but when I start with a situation, I really don't know what those relationships are like. I don't really know what sort of story I'm telling. And I think for me, that is kind of the secret to avoiding uh, all of that, uh, you know, the standard tropes, the cliches, the whatnot is because um 
I am not trying to tell any kind of story. I'm just trying to, uh, you know, follow my character and where they want to go. Um, it, it helps too, I think, that I've read a lot, um, and I think that's really important for writers. Um, I, I got to interview Greg Hurwitz once. He came to my local bookstore, um, and he has this great line. He says that people ask him, you know, what what's the one book that that they need to read in order to uh, learn how to be a writer. And, and he said, well, there are books you need to read, but there are about 2000 of them. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's true. I think you, I, I think if you read enough, if you read enough stories, you will realize how many pathways there are. Um, and, and for me, the secret is just not to try to tell any kind of story in particular, but to, t- but to tell or not to tell any story in general, but to try to tell this story in particular and to follow where it leads. And they've, you know, my my book uh, lighted up, you know, ended up kind of being a Western and I didn't start out that way. It wasn't how I was thinking about it. Um, I, you know, the the wild one turned out to be kind of a man against nature book in a way too. And, and I didn't start out with that. I just thought, uh, Peter goes to Iceland. I wonder what happens next. Um, so I, you know, I, I think the the secret for any writer is just to find the approach that that works for you and to to try to be yourself. I think that's great advice, uh, Nick. We are two years in now to writing and publishing in a pandemic. Um, how has this affected your creative life and and then you know maybe more of the business side? How has it how has it affected? how you promote books and, and, you know, the schedules have been disrupted. Um, what's it been like for you? Well, I'm really lucky in that my, my book launch has never been bumped because of a a shortage of, of books as, as it has for many people that I know. Um, for me, the biggest loss is, is that, I mean, I, I really love going on book tour. I really love, uh, book conferences. Um, I, I spend my day alone in my office and it's really important for me to, to talk to readers and writers, um, because they are the ones who let me know that I'm just not going slowly crazy by myself staring at this screen. <laughs> and, you know, to me, that's the thing that has hurt the most, I think. And, and, and plus just being generally stir crazy, um, on the upside, um, you know, all of the stuff that we now do on Zoom, um, you know, I don't have to get on a plane to do an event in California uh, if there's a bookstore that really wants me to come. Um, I can reach out to uh, writers that I know and we can have a, an almost, you know, full face-to-face conversation. Yeah. Um, and I don't have to go to a conference um, to talk to a friend who's a writer or to, to go back and forth about something. Um, so I think that's a real boon and I think that's going to both make, I mean, it's going to, I think it's going to broaden what book promotion can be and can do. Um, but I'm, I'm still looking forward to, uh, you know, as of the, you know, we're talking a couple days in advance of, of, the of the book launch and, and I still have three in-person events that are on the books, but you know, anything can change at any time. I might not be able to, you know, they might cancel my flight. I could get COVID tomorrow, you know? So, you know, part of it is just requires a little bit of personal growth uh, on my part. And, 
you know, you can't control everything. You can't, um, you know, all you can do is show up and, and do your best and the world is going to do what it's going to do. Um, you know, the, the, the funny thing too, though, is, you know, book sales have changed a lot. Um, there's a, people are buying a lot more of the backlist and the, the hardcovers, um, are, have, have been down for lots of, lots of other authors. And the, the crazy thing for me is that, um, uh, my, my last book, uh, the breaker, you know, hardcover sales were up, uh, like 15% and, um, and the backlist was up considerably more than the average. Um, so it's also a really interesting barometer because it's a really weird time. And so you can look at what your, you know, kind of what your book is doing and you can, you can sort of compare it in a slightly different way. Um, so it's a, it's a, you know, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing. Um, well, well, one thing that we've definitely noticed is that uh, you can, uh, you may be locked uh, in at home and, and not able to do much, but you can always read. And um, I, I think it's uh, book, uh, the book business has, has fared okay during a, you know, shortages and, and supply chain issues aside, um, you know, uh, books are, are kind of resilient for a place that, for a time like this. And thank God for that. Oh no, I'm with you. And actually the, the interesting thing is we all now spend so much time on screen that I think, you know, being able to fall into a, a book, you know, uh, with paper is, is such a relief in a certain way to be able to sort of be in your imagination and lying on your own couch, but also not in your house. Right. right? It's, it's really sort of tailor-made <laughs> for the pandemic, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, the Runaway Peter Ash novel book seven uh, is out everywhere now when you're hearing this. Uh, we're going to put links to it in the show notes where you can grab it in Kindle edition or hardcover or audiobook. I love the Peter Ash audiobooks. I've collected them all. I can't wait uh, to grab this one from Audible when it's released. Um, have you have you heard the new audiobook yet, Nick? I have not, um, and I'm I'm uh, always curious to see what uh, how, what Stephen does. The narrator Stephen Mandel has got this great sort of gravelly voice, so I'm I, yes. uh, I always like to hear it. Absolutely, I can't wait. Um, or go visit your local bookstore, support local bookstores, and uh, uh, grab it off the shelf there, Nick. Always fun catching up. I, I learn something every time that I talk to you. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, tell people where they can find you online if they want to connect with you, please. Uh, my website is nickpetrie.com. You can find me on Twitter or Facebook. I have both a personal and a writer page on Facebook. Uh, and I, I am on Instagram as well. I'm trying to do more on Instagram because I find it to be a very uh, sort of friendly and cheerful place. That's, that's um, where all the good vibes are. Yeah, and you can find all those links on my website uh, or just search for me and you'll find me. I'm not hard to find. Excellent. We'll link it up in the show notes also to make it easier for folks to find you. Nick, we're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of The Runaway. Thank you so much for taking time to come back on the show. Oh, thank you, Hank. It's always a pleasure, and I look forward to talking soon. Dabble is a proud sponsor of Author Stories. Dabble is an easy-to-use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories wherever they are. Write in our desktop app on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes 
we got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Gleaves, the Jason Crane series. On Walpurgis night, when the moon is high, hell's bells ring and witches must answer. They dapple their breasts with rendered fat of murdered babes, straddle their brooms and take to the sky, as the devil wills, to speed through dreamy midnight air to the summit of the Brockenberg, that haunted peak shrouded in swirling mists, where a glen of gnarled limbs and wan moonlight awaits to host their debauches and blasphemies. Now to the Brocken the witches ride. The stubble is gold and the corn is green. There shall the carnival sabbat be seen, and the devil shall come to preside. The accuser elopes from the bowels of hell, a sure-footed, goat-headed, many-horned beast with cloven hooves and a staff of bone. He perches upon the witch altar to brood in cerulean half-light, a winged silhouette with watchful red eyes. The witches gather and bow to their master, upon his charred rump give the shameful kiss, then imps beat the drum and a round dance begins. Lash yourselves into frenzy, hags, pass the chalice of pure marrow broth, whip the ground with your hair, tread the sky with your feet, dance with joined hands around Satan's cold fire. Then find out a nook of nettles and moss, and lay with the rough-skinned beast of your choosing, suckling some rancid teat of desire. But hist! The cock crows. Away, away! Gather your tatters and broomsticks and wits, back to your huts, to your thresholds and hearths, and become once more, at the red break of day, the furtive adder in your neighbor's garden. The ghost host of the Salem Sorcery Tour dazzling in his steampunk Victorian morning crepe, let the spell he'd woven trail through the twilight air like a hag across the moon, then chirped, Isn't that silly? And bowed, sweeping the wet grass with his satin-ribboned top hat. The tour group gave a polite round of applause. Nobody believes that stuff today, but the Puritans sure did. They took witches very seriously, If they went down in the morning and bought eggs, and one was rotten, surely the devil had come in the night, gone boop, tee-hee-hee, then scampered off on his little hooves. And who's in league with the devil? Witches. We're taught that the Puritans were super nice and cute with little buckles on their hats, but it's not the case, folks. They were fanatics. Witch hunts don't happen in a healthy society. They hated kids. They hated women. They were crazy, and that craziness. He turned on the spot, casting a protective circle around the stone garden of the witch memorial. Got these people killed.